couple of years ago, since we're talking about football, my dad and I were watching the Minnesota Vikings play the New Orleans Saints. It was a, a phenomenal game for those of you that are uh, that know anything about football. And um, we were in round two of the playoffs, and when it's playoff time, this means that you're really, really close to the Super Bowl, but one loss means that you're out. The Vikings were playing a really intense game. Uh, we, we had took the lead with not a lot of time left on the clock. I looked at my dad, and I, I said, Dad, this, like, this is our year. We're going to do this. All we have to do is keep the Saints, the opposing team, from kicking a field goal. That's all we have to do. If we can do that, we're going to win, and we're going to live to see another Sunday. We were excited. Our hopes were really, really high. And 10 seconds into it, they kick a field goal, and they take the lead. My dad nearly died. I had to resuscitate and bring him back to life. I said, Dad, it's okay. I said, Dad, it's okay. He said, it's, it's, it's not okay, son. He's back there. Mark my, he gets really intense during football season. He said, it's not okay. The Vikings do this all of the time. Now he's yelling at my mom who can care less, but he's yelling at her saying, look, I told you they were going to do this. They always blow it when it matters most. I said, dad, it's not over. He said, no, it's over. And I kind of believed that it was over. There was only 16 seconds left. There was no shot we were going to get this, but I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to be a positive son. Dad, it's not over. I said, let's just finish watching the last 16 seconds of the game. He said, no, I'm tired of getting my hopes up. I don't want to watch it and get my hopes up again. I said, Dad, there's still some time on the clock. Get your hopes up. It's not over until it's over. Ten seconds to go. 24-23 Saints. Vikings at their own 39. It's third down. We need a Minneapolis miracle. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side, caught by Deep. Oh, it got loose at the 30, 10, touchdown! Are you kidding me? Oh, this game was incredible. Can you make some noise? I mean, we didn't win the Super Bowl that year, but hey, that was one of the greatest games I have ever seen in my life, and it taught me something. As long as there's time on the clock, you got to get your hopes up. You got to get your hopes up. And today, I'm just here to, to give you a friendly reminder that if you are going to experience your best life, you got to get your hopes up. I don't know what you came in facing. I don't know what's going on in your world today. I don't know what opposition came knocking on your door last week, but I want you to know something. No matter if there's just two seconds left on the clock, all things are possible for the person that gets their hopes up. I love this word hope because hope paints a picture of a word called faith. Say faith. The Bible definition of faith is simply this, confident hope, confident hope. It's like having hope on another level. When your hope is at another level, it's called faith. And throughout scripture, we see that faith is very, very powerful. Faith is kind of like a magnet. It can attract the things that you want to see in 
your life. It doesn't matter what the odds are right now. It doesn't matter how much favor you have right now. It doesn't matter what the percentage of the likeliness of you succeeding as it pertains to that very thing. Faith has this ability to turn situations around. Jesus would even take it as far by saying, all things are possible if you would simply believe. We got to get our hopes back up. You don't have to live your life just hoping that you get lucky, just thinking that if something good happens, great, but if not, it's okay. My hope's worn up. I'm not going to let myself go there and get too invested in that outcome. No, you have to walk around with your hopes high. How do I grow in this faith? Maybe you're here today and you said, man, I really don't have any hope. I kind of just pray to God that like, hey, things go well today, but I'm not walking with a confident hope. I don't have that word called faith working in my life. How do you find faith? Because I believe we all need it. It's very powerful and it can change your life in a moment. How do I find faith? Faith is found by simply knowing God, knowing God. I think for most of us, we would say we know God, just like we would say, I know who Justin Bieber is. But just because you know who someone is doesn't mean you know them. If we're honest, we know of God, but we don't really know God. We know the version of God that our mom told us about growing up, that our grandpa told us about. We know that version of God, but do you know God for yourself? Because this is where you're going to find that faith that you need to make it in life. When you know God, it's a game changer. You are given an advantage that no matter what hell comes knocking at your door, you are going to walk in victory every single time. I had this friend growing up. His name was Ryan. He was like huge, massive. He feared nobody. I seen him throw grown men through fences as a 16-year-old boy. He was a beast. I'm telling you, the moment me, he and I became good friends, I was never nervous walking through the neighborhood because I knew him. I, I, I know I may not be able to take you out. Like there was this one time I was walking down the street and this one guy wanted to fight me. He was pretty big and he had a star wrench in his hand. I was scared for about two seconds because I remembered my friend is just living right there. In a moment, I went and got him. And like that, he whooped that guy and his daddy. Like that. It pays who you know. It pays who you know. When all hell is breaking loose in your life and your finances aren't making sense and your kids tell you they want nothing to do with you and your spouse says this marriage is not going to work, it pays who you know. And when you know God, you no longer have to be a victim to your circumstance. When you know God, you'll find faith. Well, how do I get to know God? Because I need that thing called faith. God is not going to leave heaven today and meet you at Starbucks to have a conversation with you in physical form. He's, he, he's done something else. The Bible says that our faith is going to grow. It's going to develop. We're going to find our faith by getting to know God, which is by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your Bible is the quickest way you're going to get to know the real God. Your Bible, that book that is on the shelf, if you don't have one, go to a hotel, take one out of theirs. That, 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 that Bible right there will paint you a picture of who God is. 
It'll tell you what God can do. It'll tell you what God thinks about your problem. It'll tell you about past victories that God has already proven himself that he can do. The Bible is a game changer if you could ever grab a hold of it. Here at Celebration, we are committed to that book. I don't care how sick you are. If that book says that you could be healed, there is not a pastor on this staff that would tell you different. Why? Because we know God. You may say, what steps does the church offer me to grow in faith? Two very practical steps. Number one, our weekend services. On Sunday, what's happening is we are going to teach you what the Bible says. So you, by default of just sitting in that chair, you're going to leave this place knowing God a little bit better. You're going to walk out of here with a little bit more faith. You're going to walk out of here with some hope. That is what's going to happen every single Sunday, not because Pastor Randy and I are really good communicators, but simply because when God's word goes forth, it begins to build faith and hope inside of you. It's why you can walk in feeling like a loser and leave this place feeling like you can take over this world because his word is where you're going to find faith. Get in church every Sunday. Everything we do from the songs that we sing, from the snacks that we serve you out in the hospitality area, we do it with this one thing in mind. We have to create an experience for people to know God every Sunday. Can you commit to that? I mean, do we still wake up on Sunday debating whether or not we're going to go to church? I mean, I don't want to go here, but do we still do that? Or do we value faith? Do we value that hope that is going to get me through life? Another simple way of finding faith, it's found in reading your Bible. You know, Sundays are great, but you can't take Pastor Randy home with you on Monday. I mean, you can listen to his podcast, and I actually believe that is something great that you can do. But one of the greatest things you can do is you can read your Bible. When I first came to church, I didn't know where to begin. I just thought it was like an ordinary Goosebumps book, because that's the only book I ever read my entire life. And um, and y'all know, y'all ever heard of Goosebumps? Am I that old? I'm only 30. Goodness. And anyways... So I start in the very beginning and quickly realize there was no pictures in this book. It was a little boring, but I, I make my way and, and I hit this book called Leviticus and things start getting really, really scary. Like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't understand this book. Listen, the Bible's not meant to be read like that, though there is a lot of purpose in some of those books. But we offer what we call a Bible reading plan, and it's available to everybody. We have an app that we didn't just create to be cool. We created an app to offer spaces for you to get to know God. And when you download that Celebration USA app, there's this link that says Bible reading plan. And it gives you a chapter to read every day. I don't read my Bible to get God to love me more. I read my Bible to get to know God more. Because when I know God, I find faith. In that book, there are outcomes to what you're facing today. And when you find it, you grab a hold of that outcome. You write it on your mirror. You write it down on paper. You get it tattooed on yourself. Now, don't go that far unless you're really hardcore. But there's an outcome in that Bible. If you want to find faith, you got to know 
God. I want to read a story today about a man who found faith and his hopes were really high. And I believe that we're going to learn some things from his, his life and what happened in his experience. And I think we're going to be able to apply them in our lives today. This story begins in Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. It says this, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. This father needed a miracle, like so many of us. And he knew where the source of help was found. He went to Jesus. He gets the attention of Jesus, and now they're making their way to his home. And as they're walking towards the home of Jairus, the Bible says there's a huge crowd of people surrounding them. And in that crowd that day, there was a woman. We don't know her name. We don't know how old she is. We don't know what she looks like. All we know is she has an illness and she's had it for 12 years. This woman is standing back here and I can only imagine her watching Jesus pass her by. She knows that Jesus can heal her just the way Jairus knew Jesus could heal his little girl. And, and she had this thought, even if Jesus doesn't come and pray for me, if I can just touch his robe, I will be made well. So she gets in her stance like she's going to run a 40-yard dash, and she darts after Jesus. The Bible says as soon as she touched his robe, that she felt healing happen in her body. Jesus stops. Everyone's wondering, why, why is he, we're, we're going somewhere, why is he stopping? He looks around and he asks this question, who touched me? The disciples said, Jesus, we're in a crowd of people, everybody's touching you. He said, no, I felt power leave from me. Jesus is waiting. We don't know how long he's waiting for this person to come up and say it was them. But finally, the woman, the woman steps up and she, she says, Jesus, it was me. They begin a conversation. And right here in verse 35, we continue in the story. Mark 5, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now but jesus overheard them and he said to jairus don't be afraid just have faith jairus i know it looks bad but don't be afraid get your hopes up this is what i know about hope this is what i know about faith just because you have it today doesn't mean that you'll have it tomorrow. There are things in life that are fighting for your hope. They are fighting to get you to forfeit the hope that has the power to change your life. There's three things that I want to identify that Jairus experienced that I believe many of, many of us experience in life 
uh, that really cause us to lose our hope. But if we can identify these things while we have hope, maybe we won't lose it. The very first thing that I recognize in this story, the thing that had the power to take Jairus' hope was time. In other words, it didn't happen when he thought it should happen. How many people forfeit their hope because the miracle didn't happen when they thought it should happen? Jairus and Jesus, they're on, they're making progress right out the gate. They are moving towards his home to pray for the daughter while she's still alive. But then that lady gets involved and touches the robe of Jesus. And now Jesus wants to stop. I can only imagine Jairus thinking to himself, can someone just raise their hand and say it was them? My daughter is dying. We are running out of time. We got to go. But Jesus was determined to stay there until someone came out and said it was me. So finally, someone comes out, and out of anyone it could have been, it's a woman. And I'm not saying that women talk a lot, but I, I kind of am saying that women talk a lot. And Jairus has to be heated by this moment. Couldn't it, been a, couldn't it have been a guy? I mean, there's a difference. If my wife asks me how I'm doing... I simply respond by saying, good, end of story, let's move on with life. If, if, if I ask her how she's doing, you better be prepared to be here for about three hours because she's going to start off by how she felt when she woke up and, and, and what she did for breakfast and the, whatever. So I can only imagine that this conversation is probably going on for some length of time. And Jairus in that moment could have thought to himself, this is never going to happen. If this was going to happen, it would have happened by now. I've seen people forfeit their faith and miss out on their promise because it didn't fit according to their plan and their time schedule. When I was 14, I began doing really bad things. And I don't know what your definition of bad is. When I explain my definition of bad to my wife, she's like, that's horrendous. That's not bad. I'm like, that's just, that's just what we did. That, you know? And I got into shoplifting, stealing, doing a lot of really dumb things. Mom, I'm sorry you have to hear this. She's back there right now. But hey, look it. I made it, mama. Hey, I'm on my way to heaven. Okay. She, I've confessed Oh, I'm telling you, my mom knows. My mama found a gun in my room, and I don't know what she, she threw that thing away. She's, she's been through hell and back with me, but God can work miracles. I don't care how far gone your children are. God can work miracles in your life. So I started getting in trouble, and I didn't like it. I really didn't. I was a good kid at heart, and, and, I, and I knew by the time I was 16, I had to make some really big decisions. All of my friends were getting incarcerated, and I knew that I was next in line. So I talked to my parents. I said, listen, I want to transfer schools. I want to get away from my friends. I want to make some new friends. So my dad said, okay, I'm going to help you. We're going to find some people that can write letters of recommendation. I don't know who had anything good to say about me, but apparently my dad said, we'll make it happen. I don't know what we did, but every transfer for God denied. I felt heartbroken. Like, I'm, I gotta catch a break. God, I don't want to end up in prison. And I had put in three transfer forms and they were all denied. And I said, I'm going to give it one more shot. I went down to the district. I filled out a form and all I did was put my name and the school that I wanted to attend. 
I put it in and I went home and I had a real serious conversation with God. I said, God, it's been a minute since we've talked, but I'm going to give you one more chance. Like you don't talk to God like that, but I was dumb. God, I'm going to give you one more chance. My paper is in and I want to make this promise to you right now that if, if you, if you, if you get me to that new school, I promise that I'll stop doing bad things and I'll play sports. But if you don't, I'm going to be the greatest criminal to ever hit this city. That was my problem. I was dead serious. Like, you think I'm, I was going to commit to something. And, and so I turned it in. Me and God have that conversation. I called the district. They said, hey, no one's making any answers. We, we got no answers yet. They said, but if, if, if it gets approved, you'll hear by, by Friday at 6 p.m. And so it's 550 I'm at home by myself. I don't know where my parents are. I'm at home by myself. 5.52. I have a basketball here. Either I'm going to go practice or I got a bag of drugs here and I'm going to go make some money. God, it's up to you. What are you going to do? 5.53. 5.54. 5.55. There's still no call coming. I put my basketball shoes away. I'm ready to commit to another life and I'm getting ready to walk out of that door. I'm walking out of that door and something right here said, get back in there. So I go back inside. I'm like, I'm just going to ride this out till 6. At 5.57, 5.58, I get a phone call. And it was the school district. They said, Mr. Nava, your request has been approved. And, and I thought to myself, wow, God, really? Really? Like you had to wait till the last minute? I heard a preacher say this one time. God may not come when you want him to. But he is always on time. Do not forfeit your hope because it hasn't happened yet. Jay Iris did, and I don't believe that you have to either. We forfeit our hope because it doesn't happen when we think it should happen. But secondly, we forfeit our hope because it doesn't happen how you thought it would happen. You're believing for a miracle in your life. You're believing for things to change. And God can deliver that package to you a million different ways. One of the dangers to us is that we have this predetermined idea of how that package is supposed to come. And when the package doesn't come how we thought it would come, we kick the package out, but we also forfeit our faith. God doesn't always do the miracle in the avenue in which you thought he would do the miracle. What I'm trying to say is he's going to answer your prayer. He just may not answer it the way you think he's going to answer it. And if you get fixated on how he's going to do it, you might miss out on your miracle. J. Iris is the leader of the synagogue. That's really all we know about his his life outside of him having a 12-year-old daughter. He's a, the, the leader of the local synagogue. synagogue. He's, he's the pastor of that day. Now, the way they pastored back in those days was a lot different than how we pastor today. Like, if you didn't pay your tithes and offering, bro, they could have you beat. I mean, this was intense. J. Iris was about, he was all about crossing every T and dotting every I. If you didn't wash your hands before you ate, man, these people could have you beat up. It was crazy. He understood the law in that day. He was a man of this law. He wouldn't break this law. He abided by this law. He held people to this standard. This is what they believed. But there's a problem in the story. 
the woman. It always comes back to a woman. I'm totally kidding. Women are lifesavers. By the way, it's Mother's Day next Sunday. Bring your mama out to church. Actually, it's the other way around. Your mama's going to bring you out to church. That's kind of how it rolls. The woman that touched his robe, we, 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 we know this one thing about her. She has an illness, and we, we, the Bible ta- talks about the specific illness that she had. The problem with her illness is it was an illness that labeled her in society as unclean. Meaning if you have that disease, you can't come in contact with anybody. The simple fact that she was around a crowd of people could have had her killed. And and, and Jairus understood this. You, You may not recognize the word unclean, but imagine this. If you're considered unclean, that's like having the cooties times 10. This woman had the cooties times 10, and the law said that if she touches anybody else, they would now have the cooties times 10. There's a problem for Jairus, because Jairus understands this woman has the cooties. She touched Jesus' robe, and he wants to wait there and call her out, so apparently she touched him. So now Jesus has the cooties, and Jesus, he's supposed to go lay his hands on my daughter, who will then have the cooties. This contradicted how he wanted the miracle to play out. And if he would have got fixated on how the miracle would happen, he would have forfeited his faith and his daughter would have never lived. But thank God that J. Iris said, it may not come in the package that I thought it would come in, but as long as my daughter lives, I don't care how you present the miracle, God. God will do it. God will work in your life, but chances are he's going to work through the avenues that you did not expect. Don't get fixated on the package. Get fixated on the promise. It'll keep you from forfeiting your faith when the package doesn't get delivered the way you thought it would. The last thing that we see that has a, an ability to keep us from keeping our faith and our hope it's a real hope depleter, is something else that J.I.R. sees towards the end of the story. And it's this, that it's too late. His daughter was dead. His daughter was dead. The messenger came and said, Jairus, leave Jesus alone. Your daughter is dead. And I think this is the place in life where a lot of people throw in the towel. We throw in the towel because it's over. We throw in the towel because there's There's no chance of victory. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Andrew, if you knew what I was going through, you would understand that it's impossible to have faith in this moment because there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And if you find yourself in that place today, I want you to know that God still brings dead things back to life. Jesus is not intimidated by how dead your situation looks. He's not intimidated by how far-fetched your kids are, by how far gone your marriage is, by how bad your finances are. He understands that you have a really, really bad record, and on paper you'll probably never get a good job, but he's not intimidated by that. He's not intimidated by the fact that you're on your second marriage and this one looks like it's going to end in divorce. He's not intimidated. He's not intimidated by how bad of a father you were growing up. He knows that in a moment he can bring something that was dead 
and bring it back to life. There are no limits to what God can do. You got to believe. You got to believe this. God can bring dead things back to life. Jesus walked into that room knowing he could have, he could expect a dead, a dead girl to be lying there, but he wasn't afraid of that. He wasn't afraid of that. As a matter of fact, when they walked in to that room, people began to laugh. They started laughing, saying, man, she's, she's too dead, Jesus. And Jesus had to do something. He had to start kicking people out of the room. I'm going to kick you out of here. I'm going to kick you out of here. He didn't even take all his disciples in there. You know, for some of us in this place, if our faith is going to last longer than two days, we're going to have to start kicking some people out of our world that are depleting our faith. You don't need people in your life telling you how it is. You need people in your life telling you how it's supposed to be. I don't need you to come tell me how sick I am. I don't need you to come remind me how poor I am. I don't need you to come remind me how bad my... I don't need you to... I need people that can speak to my potential. I need people that understand God's word, that can speak life to me even when I feel like I'm dying. Jesus showed up and in a moment with a word brought that girl back to life. I don't care what the deadness of your situation looks like. You got to believe that. Like you got to believe that Jesus had a friend who was dead for four days. And Jesus wasn't tripping. He went in there and in a moment brought life back to what was dead. He don't care. He doesn't care. His name still carries power today. Jesus is not just just chilling in heaven. He is still alive today. He may not be here in form with you, but his name still carries power. Can I tell you something? Your disease still recognizes the name of Jesus. Your poverty still, when it hears that name, it starts to tremble. Because it knows that Jesus already conquered it. The name of Jesus is the game changer. It's a game changer. There's power. He's not intimidated. One of the things that we see happen at the end of the story, and I think it's something that we have to really, really embrace if we're going to hold on to our our, our faith, if we're going to hold on to our hope. I shared three things that have an ability to take your hope away, but I want to share one thing that I believe can help you keep your hope in your possession. Because like I said, just because you have hope today doesn't mean you're going to have hope tomorrow. But I believe if you can take this next step that I'm about to give you, that there is no devil in hell that can rip that hope away from you. The messenger, if he remembers, said, hey, your daughter's dead. And then Jesus responds by saying this, don't be afraid, just have faith. Faith and fear are very powerful forces. Faith will bring to you the desire that you want, while fear will bring to you the thing that you don't want. Both are fighting for your action. And to whatever one you respond to, that's the one that you give power to. He's standing there, 
Fear is telling Jairus to go left, but faith is telling him to go right. At this point in the story, Jesus has no power to do anything. It's on Jairus to decide. And I feel like for a lot of us, we desire to see a great outcome. We come to church and then by tomorrow, there's an opportunity to give into fear. And fear starts saying, hey, I know that he said that God can do anything, but he can, just not for you. I know God said that he can heal your body and he can, but just not for you. In that moment, you have to make a conscious decision and a commitment that I will not respond to fear. The reason why it's so easy to respond to fear is because a lot of times fear makes sense. His daughter was dead. In the eyes of everybody, it did look like it was over. But God is not operating in the realm that you can see. Before you get your healing out here, where you can feel healed, you got to get your healing right here. Before you see yourself as an overcomer out here, you have to believe you're an overcomer right here. Before you are rich and can start buying people cars out here, you have to be rich and be buying people cars in here. And fear is going to fight for your decision, but you have to say, fear, not today. I ain't gonna listen to you. Some of you don't even know what God sounds like. Just do the opposite thing that fear is telling you what to do. Do the opposite thing. If fear says, hey, go make that decision, and it's, it's inspired by fear, on purpose do the complete opposite this is what I'm learning to do in my life if I feel like fear is telling me to go in this direction even if that direction doesn't make sense I'm just gonna do it anyway because I want no relationship with fear because I can't afford to lose my hope pastor Randy starts talking about the tithe and offering and something comes alive inside of some of you comes like I want to do that but then fear says uh uh come back not for you. Not, not yet. You'll get there one. No, 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 no. Who is in charge? Fear or faith? You better tell that fear. Shut up, fear. God wouldn't give me a step to take if he wasn't going to meet me there. God wouldn't tell me to have faith if he couldn't still heal my dog. God wouldn't give me permission to believe if he was going to let me down. Don't you respond to fear. Faith. How do we find it? We have to know. We've got to know God. How, what steps are we going to take? I'm going to show up to church every Sunday. I'll put the game on DVR. I made sure I'm going to invest in DVR because I'm not going to miss my football game. But Lord knows I ain't going to miss church. I got to be there. I got to be there. I got to be there. On Monday when I don't want to read my Bible and I want to get on Instagram before. No, no, no. Instagram timeout. I got to read this because I got to get some faith inside of me. Before I turn on the radio station, I love the radio, but I got to go listen to a podcast of a message from three weeks ago because it's going to give me the faith that I need. When you have hope, all I'm saying is grab onto it and don't let it go. It will produce what you want to see in your life. I'm going to have you close your eyes and bow your heads right where you're at today. I believe there's people in this place that, if you're honest, you feel like you have no hope, you have no faith. It simply boils down because you don't know God. God has a desire to know you. 
He wants you to get to know him. I'll never forget when I was at that youth camp 12 years ago, I really, really wanted to know God. But I was hit with this thought. You are very, very flawed, Andrew, very imperfect. Why would God want anything to do with you? The truth is this, that God loved you so much that he wanted to eliminate that reason that he sent Jesus who was perfect to die on a cross so that nothing, no mistake, no failure could keep you from knowing God. Nothing can keep you from knowing God anymore. And all you have to do is put your trust in Jesus, believing that when he went to that cross, he went for you. All that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're going to pray a prayer as a church family. And for those of you that have a desire to know God, I'm going to ask you to mean this with all of your heart. Say this, say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I believe that you lived for me. And I believe that you died for me. And I believe that God raised you from the dead for me. Today, I call you my savior and I make you my Lord. In Jesus name. Thanks for listening. If this impacted you and you'd like to partner with us, go to salvationchurch.cc give to help us reach people with the message of Jesus.